Acts chapter 2. We're going to look today at verses uh, 1 through 13. And as you're turning to Acts chapter 2, what I want to do is just kind of give you a recap. I know it's been, I'm not even going to try, we were talking about this during the the, the Sunday school class, uh, everything just starts jumbling together as far as when we did what and who said what, which is terrible. I'm like, Randy, did you teach on that or did I teach on that? I can't remember. It's one of us. Okay, so anyway, what I want to do is I want to give you a recap, okay, kind of of where we've been, um, at least what we looked at. I think it was last month, okay? We stopped. We went through Acts chapter 1, and then I had two two Sundays, right, where I kind of took a break and said there's some kind of background information, some stuff we want to talk about before we, we jump into Acts chapter 2, kind of give us this, this background, this context, right, that's going to prepare us. So, so the first was this, and this was, like I said, a month ago, two months ago, concerning the Holy Spirit, right? We talked about uh, uh, who, who he was, right? The Holy Spirit is God, right? And we, we established that from Scripture, that the Holy Spirit is God, and he did not proceed from the Father, or proceed from the Son, but as a distinct and separate person. So we spent a Sunday examining those truths from, from Scripture. Okay, And then the next um, uh, Sunday, we, we discussed the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to look at that a little bit today as well. But we discussed what it, what it was. Right, The baptism of the Holy Spirit okay, is a one-time event that each believer experiences now at the moment of salvation, wherein that new believer, having received the Holy Spirit, is placed by him into the body of Christ, that is, into the the church. So, again, just real quick one-liners concerning what we looked at a month, two months ago, whatever it was, I can't remember. Okay, so this is preparing us, or that prepared us, right, for what we're going to look at today, which is Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. So, Let's go there. Acts 2, 1 through 13, and I will read. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one, of, um, each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, uh, Pontus and Asia, uh, uh, Phrygia and, and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others were mocking, said, They're filled with new wine. In verses 1 through 3 of Acts chapter 2, we have really the initial okay, baptism of the Holy Spirit. Luke writes, he says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Now, the day of Pentecost, okay, Pentecost is not the name given for the day that the Holy Spirit first came upon the church. Pentecost was the second of three great harvest festivals given to Judaism. It was between Passover and Tabernacles. Right. Also known as the Festival of Weeks, right? It was really a, a celebration, in part, of the law given to Moses on Mount, Mount Sinai, and it occurred exactly 50 days after the first day of Passover. So, so the the 120, okay, from Acts uh, 115, 
Um, they were gathered together, most likely in that same upper room close to the temple, okay? And they were there for the expressed purpose of observing and celebrating um, this holiday, right? Uh, Pentecost. Now, I want to give you a quick timeline just to put things in, in perspective, okay? So, and don't try to do the math. I'm going to give you kind of like days, calendar stuff. Don't do the math because the, the Jewish calendar and how it all worked out for 50 days and, and Jesus and crucifixion and resurrection, all that stuff, doesn't work out with our calendar and way of thinking. I spent some time yesterday trying to reconcile the two. Randy and I were on the phone, and, and, and we just gave up because we know that the calendars just don't, don't work together, okay? So... Passover, Jesus' crucifixion, right? He raises from the dead on the third day, which was actually only two days later, okay? And it wasn't two full days, like 48 hours, but just how we work it out, right? Crucifixion, right? Burial, right? On the third day, raised from the dead, okay? 40 days, okay, from his resurrection to his ascension, okay? And so uh, if you recall back from Acts chapter 1, just before he ascends, he what? He promises right, the Holy Spirit, right? It says, uh, very soon... Right, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Okay, and it was in fact ten days from his ascension to the day of Pentecost, the day that the Holy Spirit was first poured out upon the church. Again, don't don't add; it doesn't work out to be fifty if you add all that up. But based on the Jewish calendar, it does. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they, the 120, were all together in one place, right, celebrating, observing Pentecost, and suddenly. There came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Again, this is the, the initial all right, baptism of the Holy Spirit. And there are, there are three evidences that we're going to examine today of, of the Spirit's coming. Now, now part, think of the, the necessity of these evidence. And I'm just going through it in my mind and I'm thinking, okay, so I mean, Jesus is, is about to ascend into heaven. And he says, listen, I'm going to, I'm going to pour out my Holy Spirit upon you here very, very shortly. Right. And I can only imagine, at least for me, what does that, what does that mean? I mean, what is that, what is that going to look like? More than that, I'd probably just be thinking, am I going to know it? I mean, like, like now as a believer, as we examined last time, I mean, how do you know that that you have the Holy Spirit. How do you know that you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit? Well, I mean, have you, have you turned from your sin and turning from your sin, trust, uh, turned to Christ and, and, and trust him alone, right? Well, I mean, if you've done that, right, well, then you've been baptized, right, by the Holy Spirit. You've received the Holy Spirit. Right? So we talked about that last time. But again, at this point, right, prior to uh, the Holy Spirit uh, being poured out upon them on the day of Pentecost, okay, I mean, here they were, I mean, Christians, but Christians without the Holy Spirit. And, and again, I can imagine thinking, well, at least if I was them, how, how am I? I mean, are we going to know for sure, right, when that comes? I mean, what if we what if we miss it? What if He's poured out upon us? He's given Him. We just we 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 kind of we're busy and we miss it, right? Now God was going to make sure right, that 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 they knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that He had, if you will arrived. And so there's three evidences in this text that, that pro, proclaim this and, and proclaim it powerfully. Okay. And they, and they needed, they needed that. There's, there's audible evidence, there's visual evidence. And then there's this, this outward manifestation of the Holy Spirit's coming as, as well. And so we'll look at each, each one of those. And within the context of that, we're going to discuss what it means to be filled by the Holy Spirit. So the audible evidence, okay, was a was a rushing was a rushing wind. Uh, 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 again, Luke says, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Right? There's this this Old Testament connection between the wind phenomena that often occurred with the appearance of, of God, right? There is this connection between wind, breath, life, and the Spirit of God. We see Jesus proclaim this in, in part in John chapter 3, verse 8. Again, he's talking with, with Nicodemus, and in 3, 8, he says um, to Nicodemus, he says, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, 
but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So it's appropriate that God, in part, makes his presence known by this, this, this rushing wind filling the, this, this place and this, this space. I, I can't even, I don't know what that would be like. I, I once went indoor skydiving in this, like, chamber. I know it doesn't make sense, skydiving inside, but, but it was basically in a wind tunnel, a vertical wind tunnel. And, and, and you're in the middle of it, and there's this huge fan underneath you, and it's, 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 it's loud. You can't hear yourself think it's so loud, and there's wind, and it's, it's turbulent, and it's violent. And I'm sure that was probably nothing like what those individuals experienced when the Holy Spirit arrived. But it says it was like a mighty rushing wind that filled this place and this space. And then he makes this, this visual reference, tongues of fire. In the Old Testament, there was this, again, this fire gave this, this depiction of the presence of God. I mean, think back to, to Moses and the burning bush, right? The angel of the Lord appeared to Moses, what? And this, this, this fire of this, this burning bush that, that wasn't even consumed. See, Luke's use of simile and metaphorical language was his best attempt of explaining this encounter with the transcendent God. Right? I mean, we often use um, similar language to it, really explain things that we can't explain. I, I was trying to, to liken this to something in my mind, and of course everything falls short. Anytime we try to, to give an analogy or compare something that we experience to, to, to an experience with God and Scripture or the relationship between God and man and all that stuff, we, we realize that it usually falls short. Okay? But I was just thinking about how, how, how Luke was trying to explain what, what those 120 experienced and how, how he used simile and how he used metaphor to do it. And I was thinking about several uh, years, a year ago, two years, I don't remember when it was, but when we had those earthquakes, like the, the big ones, the bigger ones here in Oklahoma. And so I remember I was, I was, I was in the bedroom and um, I, would, I would say, well, it sounded like, right, so I'm using simile here, it sounded like a, a distant train, right? I'm, I'm, I'm in the bedroom, and I just hear this, I hear this kind of low, deep kind of rumble, roar kind of thing, you know? And, and that would have been my first thought was, oh, there's a train, but we don't live, any by, you know, live by any train tracks. But that's, that's what it sounded like. So, okay, it sounded like a train. And then moments later, it felt like the blast of a shockwave down at the quarry when, they, when they're blasting because then the whole house just rumbled and, and shook, right? So I'm, I'm using simile, I'm using metaphor to explain this, this experience, right? And that's, that's what Luke was, Luke was doing. John MacArthur puts it this way. The supernatural activity of God is so utterly beyond the grasp of humans that the Bible's writers have to employ similes to describe his, his manifestations to men. Okay, so as, as we just read that and think about it, and, and I think the whole purpose of it is just to put us in awe at the presence of God. Um, I mean, it, it, it wasn't a rushing wind, but it sounded and it felt like a rushing wind that completely and utterly just filled that that place that 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 place and and filled their ears and that's not what it was but but that's what it felt like and that's what it sounded like but it wasn't that it was it was it was the holy spirit being poured out on them and i i can't completely comprehend that but it must just have been wow you know um he said Divided tongues, as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Of course, when I read that in my mind, right, I, I see this tongue, just a tongue, right? <laughs> and I see it burning on fire, coming down from the ceiling, right? But that wasn't it. I mean, he, 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 that, was, that was their best attempt of explaining what, what it looked like and and, and I imagine that, that, that even that best attempt is still pales in comparison to what they actually heard 
and, and, and to what they actually saw, you know. And so he's grasping here to explain what this initial pouring out, this initial, the first, if you will, baptism of the Holy Spirit was, was like. And just trying to comprehend that in, in my own mind really puts me in a state of awe. What? Wow. I mean, I, I don't even, I can't even comprehend it. They couldn't even comprehend it. And it, and it should just put us in this place of awe before God. Wow. Right. He, he's made his presence known. So if there was any doubt, OK, prior to Pentecost and one, how appropriate that God picked the day of, of, of Pentecost to pour out his Holy Spirit upon them. Right. I, I don't know that they expected it that day. Right. I don't believe they were actively at that moment um, uh, 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 praying for the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. I mean, they were desiring it. I think they were probably in this time from Christ's ascension to, to the whole, uh, Holy Spirit's being poured out on them. I'm, I'm sure they were, they were, please, Lord, we're ready. We want the Holy Spirit. We don't know what to expect, but when, whenever you're ready, we, you know. And so they're, they're in this. They don't, you know. And so here they are in this place, and they probably, at least some of them, I know, again, me, I would have been like, I hope I don't miss it. I mean, at least the awareness of it. Make no mistake about it, right? They were acutely aware, right, that Christ had fulfilled his promise to send them the Holy Spirit. And so we have these evidences. Again, this is this audible evidence, this visual evidence. And then he gave this outward manifestation as evidence as well. He says, and they were filled, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to, here's the outward manifestations of the, the coming of the Holy Spirit, okay? The filling in part of the Holy Spirit. And they all began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So two things real quick, and then we're going to examine this outward manifestation here just a little bit more. Um, two things, though. This outward manifestation of speaking in tongues proceeded, so that means came after, proceeded the filling of the Holy Spirit. Okay. So let's, let's examine first, then, what it means to be filled by the Holy Spirit. I think there is some, and I will be gracious, I think there is some confusion within Christendom today concerning what it means to be filled by the Holy Spirit. And I think some of that confusion centers around the relationship between being filled by the Holy Spirit and this outward manifestation of speaking in tongues. And so what I'm going to do this morning and, and, and try to do in the time that we have left is I'm, I'm not going to I'm not going to examine or we're not going to examine or we're not going to discuss what what the filling of the Holy Spirit is not. OK, but we're going to use scripture to define what the filling of the Holy Spirit is. Right. That's way that, that way when you encounter right someone who. Um, is, is teaching contrary to that, right? You, you can recognize that. I know Randy's used this, I think, example before. I've read it. Many of you have read it, right? When they, when they train um, agents from the Secret Service to identify counterfeit right, currency, they don't do that by exposing them to counterfeit currency, right? They do that by exposing them to uh, true currency. That way they can... Right? Identify the counterfeits. And so that's why we're not going to uh, spend a lot of time talking about what being filled by the Holy Spirit is not. We're just going to look at Scripture, and we're going to let Scripture define then what it means to be filled by the Holy Spirit. This text, however, doesn't define, right here in Acts 2, doesn't define what being filled by the Holy Spirit is. We see kind of a picture of it, but it doesn't define it. So in order to get really a definition, we're going to turn to Ephesians. So let's, let's go there. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to look at verse 18. Ephesians 
And we're going to come back to this here, here in a little bit. Um, but for right now, I'm just going to read 518, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to go 18 through 21. In verse 18, God says through Paul, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. We have two things here in 518. One, we have a command. Okay, so believers are commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So that also tells us that it's possible for believers not to be filled with the Holy Spirit, right? So going all the way back to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, right? That's, I mean, that's not an optional thing for believers, right? If you're not baptized by the Holy Spirit, you're not in the church. And if you're not in the church, you're not a believer, right? Okay, so all believers have been baptized, right, by the Holy Spirit. But not all believers are filled with the Holy Spirit, Okay? And then you might have scenarios where, where you have a believer who's living a, if you will, spirit-filled life, filled by the Holy Spirit. And then there might be another period in that believer's life where they're not right, living a spirit-filled life, or they're not filled by the Holy Spirit. And as we define that, I think that will become clear how that can be so. But suffice it to say, it is commanded for all believers to be filled by the Holy Spirit. So Ephesians 5.18, 1, okay, commands us to be filled by the Holy Spirit, and two, defines what it means to be filled by the Holy Spirit. Again, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, to be filled with the Spirit. Just as one who is drunk is under the influence and control of the intoxicant, so the one who is filled with the Holy Spirit is under his control and influence. So, so this imperative, this command, is to the extent, or comes down to the extent, that one is, right, submitting to and depending upon the Holy Spirit to the point that they are under His control and influence. So what does it mean to be filled by the Holy Spirit? What is, what is, how do we define spirit-filled living? Spirit-filled living is submitting to the authority of the Holy Spirit. Is living in complete dependence upon the Holy Spirit to the extent that he is not just simply influencing our lives, but he is controlling our lives. And, and this spirit-filled living, listen, it's an, it's an all-or-nothing thing, okay? Um, and if you have a glass of water, it's either full or it's not full, right? I mean, you could say it's not empty, but when it comes to being filled, I mean, either a glass is filled or it's, it's not filled. There is, no, there is no, I mean, we could say it's partially full, but partially full is not filled. All right? And so the scripture commands us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Not partially full. Right? No. Either you're filled with the Holy Spirit or you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. Either you're submitting to his authority and living in complete dependence upon him to the extent that he's controlling your life or you're not. And there's, there's no... In between. So this is how we could have a believer who's not spirit-filled, all right, not living in this submission dependence being controlled, all right? And then we could have a believer who is, right? And then yet through, through sin and neglect and all of that, right, falls back into this, this period, this place where this person is not, you know, depending upon the Holy Spirit, living in submission, right? Not not being controlled, influenced by by the Holy Spirit. So so we see how it's not a, if you will, guarantee for the believer, but yet it is it is something that all of us can and should have and should desire. We see an example. I think we see a great example of of what it means to be filled by the Holy Spirit in the life of Stephen. Now let's look at Acts um, chapter seven. Verses 
or verse 55. I'm going to actually read 44. Um, I'll, I'll read 44 through the end of 7. Now, when they heard these things, they were in, enraged. Um, and basically what's happening here, Stephen's preached the gospel, right? And it absolutely enrages the Pharisees. They were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. It says, but he was full of the Holy Spirit. But he, sorry, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Listen, a spirit-filled believer. Let me rephrase that. A non-spirit-filled believer would not have stood up before a crowd of men who hated him and hated Christ and proclaimed the glorious gospel of grace. A spirit-filled believer wouldn't have stood before those men as they prepared to stone him and gazed in to heaven. Not only asking Christ to receive his spirit, but to not hold their sins against them. I'm afraid the non-spirit-filled believer would have ran from the very beginning. Would have ducked, would have cowered, would have covered his head, would have maybe recanted not to lose one's salvation as if it were possible. But a non-spirit-filled believer would not have responded as Stephen Responded. It was the Holy Spirit working in him and through him, controlling his words, controlling his actions to do as he did. You know, I, I think about that in other examples. And the two that just, that just popped into my mind, one would have been Martin Luther. When he utterly, completely refused to what? To recant. Evidences or an evidence of a spirit-filled believer. The five men, five I think it was right down in Ecuador with the Aka Indians, who though they had the ability to defend themselves, right? They had they had guns. Right? They could have used those guns to to save their own lives, and yet they said even before they went and they said our our, our souls are prepared for heaven theirs are not, you know. Again, I think that that's evidence of the fact that every one of those men were were living spirit-filled lives. Right? It was the Holy Spirit in them and through them, controlling, if you will, influencing them, controlling them to do what they did or to not do what they didn't do. So concerning the what, what does it mean? be filled by the Holy Spirit. Again, simply, living under the influence and control of the Holy Spirit. That's the what, right? And that comes through submission and dependence. The how. All right, so I know what it is, but how do I? Right? I mean, okay, how am I spirit-filled? Well, it's complete, constant submission, dependence upon the Holy Spirit. But, but, but how do I do that? I mean, because I, mean, I think that's really it. I mean, okay, it's just easy to, easy to say, Oh, well, just submit and depend, and you're good to go. It's in part an attitude of the heart. Recognizing that, that we can't do it. I mean, I, I, I want that for me. I, I want that for us. 
I want to live a life that's completely submitted to and dependent upon him. And I want you to to want to live that same life and to do the same thing. But but it's recognizing in part that I'm, I'm actually incapable of doing that apart from Christ in me and through me, him in me and through me doing that for me. So... So it's an attitude of the heart. It's, it's, it's knowing it. It's wanting it. It's desiring it. But also acknowledging that we can't, we can't do that on our own. I believe it also includes expectant prayer. God, I'm, I, I know I'm incapable. And I so desire it and I so want it. But I want you to do it for me, in me, through me, all of the above. But I also think it includes being transformed by the truths of God's word. Romans 12, 2. So I'm just going to read 1, one through 2. Um, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices. Oh, I'm thinking about Stephen here. I'm thinking about the five guys down in in Ecuador, right? Martin Luther. To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God. What is the will of God? The will of God is that we would what? Be filled in part... One of the aspects is that we would be filled by the Holy Spirit. That you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Listen, if if our mind is not transformed by the truths of God's word, then our heart is not going to be transformed. And if our heart is not transformed, then how are we going to desire, why would we desire to live spirit-filled lives. We wouldn't. We would probably then want what the world wants, and the world doesn't want Christ. The world doesn't want the Holy Spirit. The world wants what the world wants, and it's not Jesus. All right, so we know the what of, 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 of spirit-filled living, and we know what it means to be filled by the Holy Spirit. We know how that, in part, is accomplished but what is what is the evidence of it? I mean, there there were evidences there in Acts chapter two, right? I mean, Holy Spirit one had come; they had been baptized, right? The rushing wind, the fiery tongues. It says they've been filled by the Holy Spirit, right? And there were manifestations of that filling, right? It was the the tongues. Again, we're going to still look at that briefly. Um, but for us practically, what is the evidence that one is living a spirit filled? Life. Let's go back first. Let's go back to Ephesians 5.18. Um, we're going to look at 5.18 through 21. We'll look at two texts that give us evidences. I want to be spirit-filled. How, how do I know? Do not get drunk on wine or drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. And in verse 19, he starts to explain what some of those evidences are. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Someone says, "Ah, I don't know, am I living a spirit-filled life? Am I? I mean, there's objective evidence that we have. Am I living a spirit-filled life? Are you living a spirit-filled life? Do you give thanks to God? Always and in everything and for everything? Right? Not an issue of perfection, right? But, but is that a, a general characteristic in your life? If it is, you know, it might be evidence of, of, of living a spirit-filled life. If the answer is no, as a matter of fact, I never... I never do that. I, I know I ought to, and I, I feel sorrowful that I don't. But that's evident that you're not filled by the Holy Spirit, living a spirit-filled life, right? Are we submitting to one another out of the reverence of Christ? Right? Again, that's objective evidence. Nope, not at all. 
You know, I know I ought to be, but, but I, I'm not. Well, then that's probably good evidence that you're not living a spirit-filled life. Or if you are, then that might be evidence that you are living a, a spirit-filled life. And obviously, we know that some of it comes down to an issue of the heart. I mean, there might be outward evidences, right? I mean, you might outwardly be giving thanks to God so other people can hear. You might outwardly be, be displaying a, a submission. But if your heart is turned away from it, then I would say that's not evidence. So, so some of this we know that, that you have to examine your, yourself in that as well. Also, Galatians 5, 22. The fruit of the Spirit. How do I know I'm living a Spirit-filled life? 5.22 But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Listen, this isn't, this isn't an issue of perfection. Right, So we, we do have to understand that it is a, a, a process of maturity in and for the believer. Not that I do or have or display all these things perfectly. But for the one seeking to live a, a spirit-filled life or to be filled by the Holy Spirit or examining you know, his or herself, am I, am I filled by the Holy Spirit? Am I living a spirit-filled life? Do you, have these, do you have these fruit in your life? Do you have love? Do you love? What about joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self, self-control? Are you growing in these areas? Do you desire these things? I think if the answer is, is yes, I, I see these fruit. Maybe they're small fruit, right? Maybe, the, maybe it's a new believer and, and the flower just bloomed. Or maybe, maybe the... Maybe the petals of the flower just fell off and there's just these tiny little nubs there that are going to grow into some, 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 some glorious fruit someday, right? But is, but is the fruit there, right? And, and is it growing? Right. And again, I think if the answer is yes, as you examine yourself, I think you can say, well, then yeah. You know, I, am, I, am des- I desire to live a spirit-filled life. And as I'm examining myself and I do see some fruit, you know, sometimes it's, it's small and weak and other times it's, you know, Maybe growing, right? And so we can use these things to examine ourselves, okay, when it comes to am, am, am I living a spirit-filled life? What are the evidences in my life that I am? Right? And, and I think this is something, and, and even this week as I studied, you know, something that, that I was forced to examine, you know, in my own life. You know, what are the evidences in my life or lack of evidences in my life that I am filled by the Holy Spirit, or that I'm seeking to live a spirit-filled life. Again, we're not looking for perfection, but again, it's about progress. It's about maturity. Okay, back to Acts 2. So there were three evidences, right? There was the audible evidence, the, the rushing wind. There was the visible evidence, the tongues of, of fire, right? And then there was this outward manifestation, this, this speaking in tongues that, that, that many in our world today have confused with being synonymous to being filled by the Holy Spirit. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, first, let me say this before we kind of just, just end on this. Had these men and women not been baptized by the Holy Spirit, not been filled with the Holy Spirit, right? They wouldn't have been speaking in these foreign languages. Why? Because it was the Holy Spirit doing it. I mean, that's simply what it was. It's not synonymous with being filled in the Holy Spirit. It's just, just, just a manifestation or a gift from the Holy Spirit. These tongues that they were speaking in, all right, they were foreign languages. Right? It, 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 it lists them as we go through here. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound, the multitude came together. They were bewildered because each one of them was what? Hearing them speak in his own language. 
So that would be like, like, and it goes through and it lists all these languages and, and places that I don't even know where they are and half of them I can't pronounce. But that would be like, you know, uh, uh, us being able to speak in French or to speak in, in German or whatever language you don't know, Farsi or Swahili or whatever, you know, the languages where they make the popping and the clicking and doing all that, right? And you're like, they're just making noise. And it's a language. Okay, that's what was that's what was going on. Okay, and when this when this occurred, and there's no evidence to the contrary. That's why I'm I'm going to boldly proclaim this. They didn't know what they were speaking. So let's assume Peter's popping off with tones and clicks and all this stuff, and he's speaking whatever languages that that is. One, I'm not convinced. Okay, that the individuals were even aware of what language they were speaking individually. I think the gospel was flowing from their mouths and they heard it in, in, in Greek or Hebrew or whatever it was they were speaking. And as that was happening, those around them were, were hearing it in this, this foreign tongue. That's how it's going to be in heaven. Uh, these, these are those, you know, I talk, I talk about those things that keep me awake at night, right? Those, those questions. I'm like, all right, so every tribe, tongue, and nation, we're all going to be in heaven. And I speak English. And there's going to be other believers in heaven that are speaking all these other languages. And so here's how I think it's going to go down. We're going to be in heaven worshiping God. And we're going to be in heaven worshiping God. And I think quite possibly our native tongue, English, right? And when we do that, we're going to be hearing English. And those around us are going to be worshiping God in their native tongues. And they're going to be hearing themselves in their native tongues. But when they hear us, I think they're going to hear us in their tongue. And when we hear them, our tongue. I don't think there's going to be, be any need for a translator in heaven. That's the point. And I don't think we're all going to be speaking the same language, okay? I think in part that's what was going on here on, on, on that day. So Peter's speaking whatever Peter's speaking. And he's not hearing the native tongue he's hearing or the other tongue. He's hearing his native tongue, Right? And it wasn't now that Peter had this ability from, from this point forward to speak whatever it was he was speaking in, okay? That wasn't, that wasn't the case. He didn't understand that language, but that's what it came out as, regardless of what he heard it as. So the ability to speak in a foreign language on the day of Pentecost wasn't the filling of the Holy Spirit. We could say in part as a result of, but not the filling of the Holy Spirit. It was, in fact, a gift and a work by the Holy Spirit. So again, they'd been baptized by the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and had, as a result, been given a temporal gift for a special and specific purpose. On the day of Pentecost, it was in part a sign of judgment against unbelieving Israel. It was for the proclamation of an inclusive gospel. Right? And it also served to confirm the apostles' authority. And there were other instances in Acts similar to this. And we'll just look at those, those briefly. Acts chapter 10, then we're going to look at chapter 19. In 10 verses 44, 48, or 2:48, says, so while Peter was uh, still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Acts chapter 19. See it again in verses 1 through 6. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country, came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit 
And he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. So, so listen, right? These guys that Paul's talking to here, right? They missed the whole Pentecost together, right? They were, they were I don't know how, intertestamental saints, right? They, they were, in part, if you will, saved through the preaching of the gospel, right? Before it all happened, you know, looking forward, okay? Uh, through, in part, John the Baptist's ministry, okay? So who knows where they went from there, but up until this point, they had missed everything that in part had happened uh, concerning the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And so Paul's asking them about it. And again, Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. That's how they were saved, looking forward to Christ. And on hearing this, they were what? Baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues, foreign languages, prophesying, and there are about 12 men in all. So we have a couple instances in Scripture, right, for a very specific reason and a very specific purpose that it happened this way with the baptism of the Holy Spirit coming in a visible, powerful, audible way that included a very specific gift for a, a very specific purpose, and that was in part to demonstrate that salvation had in fact arrived that the Holy Spirit had, in fact, arrived. But that's not normative. It wasn't normative then. And I can assure you it is not normative now. Now, now that, that being said, when we hear these stories coming from the mission field, that, you know, said missionary was trying to preach the gospel to said tribe that had never even seen a, a white-skinned person before, let alone heard the gospel. And in the part of that, or maybe when it was over, said missionaries, like after we were all said and done, and months and weeks later, as we were recounting my first encounter with them, they were wanting to know how I knew their language or something like that. I mean, we've heard stories like that, right? Again, that's not the filling of the Holy Spirit. That's God imparting a supernatural gift at a specific time for a specific purpose. Okay, and so God still works in ways like that. It's not normative, though. And I'm never going to put a God in a box and say he doesn't do that, okay, because I think he does, okay? But it wasn't normative then, and it isn't normative now. But I think going through Acts 1 through 13, and Lord willing, next week we'll pick up in, in verse 14. I, I think it just brings us to this place as, as believers, and I know it's brought me to this place this past week of examining myself. Am I living a spirit-filled life? Do I desire to live a spirit-filled life? Okay, if, the, if, the, if the question is no, or the answer, sorry, is, is no, then the question is why? Right? And it's one of two things. Either I'm not a believer, right? I've never been baptized by the Holy Spirit. I've never turned from my sin, and in turning from my sin, turned to Christ. Or the other answer is I'm, I'm living in disobedience because it's a command. Right? It's, not, it's not optional. It's not, if you want to be, you know, if you want to have a good life, then, 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 then try to live a Spirit-filled life. No, it's be filled with the Spirit. So it's either that you're not saved or you're in disobedience. Either or, the solution is the same. It's to repent. And then it's to seek to live a spirit-filled life through submission and dependence upon Him. And in examining ourselves, we have to ask, what are the evidences in my life? Is there evidence in my life? So let's do this. Let's pray, okay, that God would give us as believers the desire, right, to live spirit-filled lives, that he, in fact, would accomplish that in us and, and through us, right? That he would bring it to fruition, right? And in knowing that, that, that we can, if you will, lose that, let's also pray that he would keep us in that state. Father, we love you and we thank you um, for your word and we, we thank you for the truths of your word Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the reality of being filled. We thank you for the reality of the Holy Spirit, one that we have the Holy Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit, 
distinct and separate person from the Father and the Son, and that Him given to us, indwelling us, has placed us into the body of Christ. And we thank you for the reality that we have that we can, we can live a spirit-filled life. That is, we can live in such a way that everything about us is influenced and controlled by the Holy Spirit. We understand that that comes through dependence and, and submission to Him. And so make us, make us want that. And making us want that, I pray, Lord, that you would, you would bring it to pass in all of our lives. That every one of us would, would live spirit-filled lives. And I, I pray, Lord, that you would keep us in that state. I can't imagine wanting to be spirit-filled, being spirit-filled, and then, and then falling out of that. Who wants that? I don't, and we, we don't, but we need you to keep us in that. And so we pray, Lord, that you would, you would do that. But Lord, when we, when we sin and allow our sin to get in, get in the way, I pray, God, that you would, you would convict us sharply, and that you would bring us back to a, a place of repentance, and that you would restore us, and that you would do all of this, again, for your glory, because this is this is... This is the supreme purpose of all of it, and we know that. It's that you would receive the greatest glory, that you would receive all of our praise and all of our adoration, but we also understand that it is for our good, and we desire that as well. Jesus, this is only a reality because of you. And so it's, it's because of you and it's for you that we pray these things. We love you. Lord, we praise you, Lord, and we thank you. Amen. Love he owns. I have no longings for another. I'm satisfied in him alone.